What type of opinion? What do you like in what regard? Like yes or no? Like what do you think about fossils? Yeah, do you like, ever think about fossils? Like are it like yes or no? Yeah. Yeah, me too. But what about them? I just think they're cool. I mean, yeah, they're cool, but I thought you were saying they're like They're from what's... hundreds of years ago. Yeah, man. They're from a time Maybe even more. They're from a time we will never, ever, ever understand. Like the Cretaceous period, specifically. We, we think we get it from looking at stuff mm-hmm. and thinking about stuff. It's like, but hmm. we will never know what it actually stuffed. Yeah, I could be like an Oreo. Dude, could be a fucking uh oh Oreo. Is that the? Is that the one with the frosting on the outside? No, that's a that's a that's a fuck up. Is is what that is? That's oh, a, they did. A, they didn't. They didn't. Uh, I don't brand know, that one. Uh, maybe they did. Is that the one where it's vanilla wafers on the outside <sighs> and chocolate it? icing on the inside? I think it is. I think it is. That sounds right. I don't know about the uh, Oreo. But or- dinosaurs could have been like chill, you know. They could have been. I mean, there's a reason that evolution gave them super sharp teeth and, like, claws and shit. Like, all of them. But at the same time, like... They could have had a whole dino society that they we don't know ju- about. They could have still been chill. Yeah, for sure. Because people look at our bones and we look we look fucking weird. Yeah, we're, like, janky. Yeah, we're janked up. Yeah, we're all janked up. <laughs> you look at those teeth and the, and the sockets all the sockets all over oh my god dude so many sockets and you're just like what is this a fucking a fucking uh, what le- was even Lego there? man <laughs> what was even in there <laughs> what <laughs> even what even are you what were they like ashtrays <laughs> <laughs> they evolved to have ashtrays on They've, their faces yeah. it's terrible uh what do you what do you think about fossils i think that they are a historical record of something that existed long, long ago. Yeah. No. Specifically. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. And archaeologists uh, generally find them, which is a uh, a subset of anthropology. Say, are you bringing this up because it's the thirtieth anniversary of Jurassic Park? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I was going to say, because I... I, You son of a bitch, you did it. I put it together? Yes. Yeah, no, I remember remember Jurassic Park uh, very, very fondly forgetting most of their science wrong. Yeah. Yeah, Rain Wilson. uh, (laughs) What? (laughs) uh, Yeah, Neil Patrick Harris. um, You know, both actors. Uh, just like the people who were in Jurassic who Park. Who were in Jurassic Park, right. And Jurassic World had actors, too. Yeah, it did. Mm-hmm. It did. Mm-hmm. It didn't have as much practical effects, that's for sure. No, no more. Uh, uh, what, what, what does CGI stand for? Computer graphic imaging? It had more computer graphic imaging. Yeah, it's fair. Certainly. Certainly. Jurassic Park might be one of the coolest movies ever made. It's very cool. 
It also cool. scared me a lot as a kid. It was one of the first movies I remember seeing in theater. Like, I remember seeing it in theater. But not I the coldest. Just... Wow. Very cool, but not the coldest. What would have been the coldest? I mean, that ice planet in Star Wars. Burr. Hoth. Hoth. Thank you. God bless you. What's up, everybody? How we doing? <laughs> now we're now I'm the we're, host now. <laughs> now, yeah, I mean that's been the joke on the last episodes. Apparently, people, other people are here to host. It's me. So everyone King. else has been taking my intro away. To from my me. left is uh, El Capitan Muerte. I am the El Capitan, and I'm your Sofa King. It. Yep. And what show are we on, Sofa King? Uh, a lot of bread. Yep. Gluten-free, hopefully. Yeah, I don't want to be a danger to you, you know. I'm scared. Uh, You know, if if you were to say, like, your favorite thing about this show, what would you say? Uh, The music. Do you mean your music? No. What you sing? No, no, no. I mean the, uh, the background music. Oh, okay. That's shout out to our guy in the fucking. Uh, I think I think he's in. I think he's in like Switzerland. I'm pretty sure he's in Switzerland. Yeah, that's what I understand too. Cryo Chamber, shout out to our backing track dude. I made a deal with him like seven years ago, and he uh, and he said sure. And then well, thank uh, you to Cryo Chamber. Yeah. Yeah. Big. The music big is very gets. cool. No, it's. I mean, no sarcasm here. It's he very makes. Cool. He makes fun little fun little pieces, and we uh, we certainly uh, we certainly appreciate it for one, because he doesn't make me pay for it. But you know, nice Great, guy. always grateful for that. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean the just ability to hear a story. I thought I honestly thought you were gonna say something along the lines of like, yeah, no, the fossils. No. No, nah, man, I'll 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 reel it back for a second here. I okay. I, I genuinely okay. love okay. the podcast, and it's uh, just hearing different people read stories is is very cool to me. You're being so real about it. I expected you to say something half-assed and and, and joking. No, nah, I don't really ever do that. You I'm always ever, serious. You're always for real. I'm deadly serious. You're on you're on your game twenty four seven nonstop round trip fucking. Guaranteed. 365 and a quarter days a year. Yeah, I mean, where's the quarter come from? Well, it's uh, it, it, it's 365 and a quarter days to get around the sun. Every fourth year, they culminate that in a uh, leap year, which is uh, February 29th. Whose fucking idea was that? Science. What the fuck, dude? I don't believe in it. <laughs> what aspect? That's what, the, what part? Um, the All of it? Science's ability to tell the truth about certain situations that are inconvenient to me. <laughs> I dislike that. Yeah, man, do tell. Um, well, we're in the middle of some, uh, some, we've had some Canadian forest fires here. If, uh, we're talking about current how, events today. How about that? 
It's one crazy. Of the, one of the cooler things and scarier things that's happened to me recently is I've walked outside and it's been complete daylight, mm-hmm. but the sun has been drowned out by a yellow smoke that's just sweeping down the street. And it's a literal fog that encapsulates everything around you and the sun. And I told myself, yeah, you know, we give it another, like, uh, I don't know, how many years? Like, 20 to 100 before the sun completely fucks up the ozone layer and really does a number on the environment. And, uh, you know, we might just live with that every single day. I was thinking the same thing, that we could just be... You know, this could be this the normal. This is just the new normal now. It could be because that's because that's how that's how this works, don't it? Shout out to our California listeners who are just laughing at us right now. Shout out to uh, everyone older than fifty for absolutely uh, ruining the economy. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, Agreed. But more so, shout out to anyone 200 years or more older for ruining the ecosystem and fucking up the atmosphere. If you're over 200 and listening to Lots of Pasta right now, shout out to you for being alive and just getting up every day and doing it. Shout out to everyone getting up every day who's just waking up, doing it. Shout out to all you dead fucks who stay exactly where you are and deserve to be. You know, I always, um, I don't think I said this last time, but, you know, you should talk ill of the dead and nice of the living, because the dead Do you always you. say that? Always. That's one of your things. I, I say you, it. You come into a room, you say that, you leave. If I don't know the people in the room, uh, okay. I'll, I'll make that known first. Okay. And then from there, yeah. Well, we'll I'll, uh, you know, I'll get to know that, people from I'm there. I'm just going to bring it back to the beginning. Are you going to talk shit about fossils? No. Oh, okay. No, I just was curious well, what you thought about them. Well, technically they're dead. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Like, that's talk, true. You said talk oh, ill of the dead. Man. Well, I mean, we did bring it full circle. I talked about it. I you mentioned did. it. I ha- it you happened. Did. Damn it. But <laughs> if you were to talk nice about the living and shit about the dead... Yeah. What what are you going to say? Give me give me a two sides of the coin first impression right now go. Hey, Stephen Sondheim, you old piece of shit, you better get stupid, idiot. You, you're you're going to cry because I'm so mean to you. Uh I thought we were supposed to be nice to the living. He's and, dead. Oh, he died? Yeah, he died uh when did he die? Last year. No. Yeah. Sondheim This died? is real. This is real. I, I, I will... You're blowing my mind right now. I know. Now. I'm looking it up. I he said... I thought Sondheim was still alive, I honest. met Stephen Sondheim. I'm pretty sure he died. Are you sure? Yeah. We're checking the we're checking the logs, folks. Yeah. We gotta call up a couple people. We gotta research a couple things. We might it might take fifteen or so minutes, but I'm here to keep us, you know, entertained while we wait. He died in twenty twenty one. Wow, I'm really behind. Yeah. Are you okay? I mean, yeah, because I'm, he was depressing. And you didn't know music, him personally. And his music was confusing. Yeah. It was. I, uh... I thought he was featured in a movie that came out, like, this year. And now I'm confused about who that would have been. I'll have Another to look, old fuck. I'll have to look it up later. I mean, obviously, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm sorry I broke that to you. No, I mean... 
It's not that we, big a deal. I was thinking about our performance in high school together. Of Into the did, Woods. Where we did Sondheim and we did Into the Woods. And I was Jack and you were my baker daddy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the sofa queen was uh, the baker's wife. Believe it or not, in her oh, own production. I was going to say, she definitely wasn't when we did it. But no, no, no. At no, her no. own school. In at her, her own, own school in her own town. How funny is that? Isn't that nice? Isn't that cute? Yeah. That's fun. And we're just always baking and... You are, though. Yeah. Yeah. Baking and, and baking. And here's the thing. I thought about uh, you and you and me doing that show... Yeah. And sitting up in the rafters oh, right, man. Bef- right before no one is alone. Fuck yeah. And how we would, I, I think we would turn and joke to each other about falling off in the middle of the performance. Because we would have to climb up this ladder to yeah. get up into this, the higher and level. And we're not firefighters, people. We're not. Know? We were, we were once agile. We were once, uh, as, as, uh, as skinny as stalks. And now we are what we so aptly claim to say, big boys on deck. Big boys on deck. Uh, right better hoist we, that mainsail. Better pull up your fucking landlubbers. Mm-hmm. Get on those clogs. Better pull up your fucking anchors, boys. Yeah, you better get a whiff of your fisherman's friend. Because <laughs> big boys <laughs> are on big deck. big boys are on deck. Oh, uh, land ho. Anyway. And then I don't I, have any more. I'm glad. When we when we were uh, climbing up those ladders, you know, I always felt, I you know, I always felt like, uh, you know, one day, camaraderie. One day we'd bet we'd be back to climb those ladders together. You know, no, nah, that saying? seems like a lot. And it never happened. No, <laughs> no, you graduated <laughs> no. high school, and, and I did. Yeah, and then I did too. We both yeah. took a drink at the same time. That's not good for podcasts. But we also, <laughs> but we also did, we also did a couple. We did one other show together, which was also really fun, and I like to think about it a lot too. I do too. I I really like to think about. There was one specific day where we got there early, and we're just fucking around with swords. Yeah. And that's not a sexual metaphor whatsoever. No, the show consisted of swords. Yes, and and, and canes. They would spark. The swords would yes, spark they up. Would. Yep. Just like you should right now. I noble I, listeners. I left it in the other Oh yeah, they do you, can. Do you want some? No, I left it in the other room. It's okay. Do you want me to um, go get it? No, it's alright. So uh they in you know, in mention of the tomfoolery we would we would get ourselves up to. Yeah. Do you remember jousting? Yes, that's what I was referring to. Okay. Yeah, we would just joust and choreograph because, different jousting. Because I remember, like, quote-unquote jousting, where we would get big things of cardboard, and then we would take oh a, God, a broom, the bottom of a broom off of a broom, and we would throw the pole. Okay, and maybe we, and we would I try wasn't to thinking of the same thing. Through the, through the cardboard. We were fucking around with a lot of cardboard during that show. We were fucking show. around with a lot of cardboard and a lot of wood. We were, like, breaking, I remember, um, just breaking giant piece of wood, plywood, and uh-huh. just uh-huh. shit over by the dumpster. There was definitely, it was the year, I remember it was the year 300 came out. Which yes. means it was, it, it had to have been Pimpernel. It was, the and Scarlet I, Pimpernel. And I remember we, we were absolutely throwing something sharp through the air towards piles of cardboard. 
Yes. And we would always scream for Sparta. Yes. Yes, we would. <laughs> yes, we would. <laughs> I think about that, too. Good times. I think about playing Red Rover. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then, um... Do you remember I won't gold, mention... Goldfish Day? Do you remember Goldfish in the I hallway? Goldfish in the hallway. We, Do you we, remember Pantsing? So many wasted uh, goldfish. Yeah. The... I, I won't say his name, but... Um, He's a, like, licensed, I think, orthodontist or optometrist or opto- optometrist now. Really? Yeah. But we pants the shit out of him. And, yes, and he always. Was, it was butt... It was butt naked the one day. It was butt naked the one day, and it was, uh... Everyone was like, oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> we took it too far, man. I also remember the day where I, uh... I shit my pants... And Joel was like, it's okay to shit your pants. And I said, uh, no, it's not. I'm embarrassed. And he said, good, you should be. I was just kidding when I said it was cool earlier. And uh, that taught me a, a lesson I still <laughs> I still live with. Oh, I mentioned another guy's name that I shouldn't have. I'm going to go ahead and not mention that name now. <laughs> I oh no, I'm, I'm fabricating the event entirely. Oh, okay. <laughs> I wanted to hit you with your own medicine for once. <laughs> it worked. I wanted to make up I wanted to make up a completely plausible situation that you would have agreed with. It was that I can see him you saying can see it, I Evan. can see him saying that to you. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. That's I'm not just cool joking. at all. It's not cool. That's not cool at all. You should be embarrassed. Get away from it. It's me. very embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. What a goody two shoes. <laughs> oh shit. Okay. We're we're getting onward fun. Christian <laughs> That was great. Uh, we're getting we're getting far away from it. We gotta reel it reel it back in because we, we have to real estate it back in. <laughs> we got some God damn it. We're going off Broadway. Is that, yes. is that too much? Is that too much? Uh. Got to real estate it back. <laughs> I liked that. Yeah, I did too. Uh, All right, I'm sorry. I'm loud. We got some big boys on deck here. We got to reel it in. Big boys. Um, I'm I'm gonna take <sighs> the I'm gonna take the reins of the show back if if that's okay. Uh, this is lots of pasta. I'm your host, Captain Death. I'm here, of course, with Sofa King. Uh. And we're here for another fantastic episode where we don't know what we're doing, and we're just going to kind of feel it out and see how it goes, and it'll be cool. Should be. I think that sums up 90% of your episodes. There was one or two times where we had things planned and we knew what we were getting into, but for those other, you know, eight or however many we've recorded, yeah. 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 Um, Reeling it back in. When it comes to uh, talking about not knowing what the fuck is going on, um, we're don't. we're gonna read some stories. I mean, that's guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Where we go from there, who knows? What what avenue shall we go down? Where shall we end on today's note? And ah. Uh, <laughs> And, uh... That was rough. <laughs> Ow. <laughs> I heard my voice right before we started. And, uh... Doing an evil laugh. Give me a maniacal laugh. 
<laughs> you really do have a talent at it. You really do. Do you want to hear a more uh, laid back maniacal laugh? Sure. <laughs> yeah, that, there was something there. There was something there that kind of was. It was like Dennis Reynolds. You have to, you have to like, uh, you have to like imagine there are like daggers coming out of your eyes. Literal knives. <laughs> <laughs> that was less maniacal. No, that was more but, of a fun laugh. But there was some. There was a twinge there at the end, that I saw. An evil twinge. An evil twinge. You saw the twinge. I saw the twinge. I just don't. Daggers. Daggers. You know what I'm saying. Yeah. Here you try. I I don't know if I can. I I believe in you. It's just whenever someone like points at me and says maniacal laugh like right off the top of your lungs, I almost like I almost immediately want to go into like Joker mode, and then it's like I'm not a clown, am I? Well, if you think about it too much, it's not gonna work out. It's not, is it? Right. So do it from the bottom of your lungs, not the top. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. It just seems like you don't want to do it, so I don't think you should. It's fine. <laughs> that uh, is kind of evil. That's just my regular laugh. <laughs> God damn it. It's a good one. Uh, I don't... <coughs> I was going to finish the sentence by saying, I don't, like, act anymore, but, like, I try to. I don't either. This yeah, I just like having this fun and acting like fossils or something I care about. And yeah, this isn't like, like an act. Like, yes, we're having fun just being stupid with one another, but we're not not being ourselves. Yeah. And that's what I mean by, like, most of the people who are on this show, they, they don't play characters. They really are who they say they are. Right, I'm the even Sofa the, King. Even the people who, like, aren't necessarily on this show anymore, I'd still like to think I've captured the perfect snapshot of what type of person they were when we were recording the show together. So it's still funny to listen to uh, pretty much any episode of this show just to see where that person was at at that time. And... Uh, there's yeah. some there's some fun ones there where like if you really go back like five or six years of this show, which is how long we've been doing this, there really is some, some gold back there. Yeah. Um there's golden damn eagles. There there is. And uh there's there's still yet more to be found. And uh, you know, I still gotta make that hot famales shirt. Yeah. I think that's what's holding you back. It might be the one thing that I regret the most not having done yet. Well, it holds them back. You know what I mean? Nice. <laughs> nice. Bro. 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 No, but I was... This is a total bro show today. But I was... Yeah, we're having a, a bro Um, I think... Uh, <laughs> Fucking A. He wanted to get up and leave when I said it. Uh, uh, I almost did. And when... When when I think about acting, I I was cast in a play right before COVID, and I was really excited for it because the first time I've been back on a stage in like however many years. Yeah. And then literally COVID happened the week of our opening, and the show got shut down. Yeah, I probably won't do it again. How fucking funny is that, though? Life's a funny fucking. Thing. Life is a bitch, let me tell you. But that show would have been cool. You would have seen me getting high on stage and yelling at people, which which is what I was looking forward to the most. Oh about man, it, that honestly. sounds awesome. Yeah, my character was pretty much just me. <laughs> That's fucking fantastic. Getting high and yelling at people all day. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, no, there was there was. He's some, brutal in real life. There's some fun. I said, shut the fuck up. I'm sorry. All right. <laughs> I can't sure. even like joke. Be mad at you because you immediately make me feel bad. I'm really sorry. <laughs> I don't want you to think that I'm anything but a great guest for you on your show, and I just feel like I mean, I, you're I'm also a so friend, mean. But it's I'm so mean. <laughs> oh man, I really gotta, I really gotta evaluate some things on my end. <laughs> God damn it! So, uh, you know, every episode I've recorded recently where I just want to sit down and like read some stories, we've really gone like off the fucking rails. And next thing you know, we're talking for like a half hour about fucking fossils or some shit. Nothing. Um, people like <laughs> listening to us talk, right? I hope um, so. I hope so. Yeah. We're cool. I'm here with Sofa King. Hello. And we picked random stories from a list of stories that I have, and we're going to read them today. Is Doesn't that sound like fun? Are you talking to me? <laughs> I am now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sounds great. <laughs> well, let's do it. It sounds great. You think everything else was just going to be a hypothetical I'm sending off into the to the audience? Are, are you, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You were talking to me again. I'm sorry. I oh, thought you were talking to no, the... I was talking to the audience that time, but you you still understood the the <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry. God damn it. All right. Um story time? Story time. All right. I'm going to let you go first because yours had the funnier title. Um of course, from a list of I think 800 some pages. Mm-hmm. Um Sofa King picks the probably funniest title in the entire bunch, obviously. Uh, it's called My Sleep Paralysis Demon is Actually a Pretty Chill Guy. I like the title. It's a fun title. Yeah, I. Uh, it's a fun ever, title. It's a fun one. What can I say? It's a title. Sleep um, paralysis. You're asleep. You wake up. You can't feel a thing. What's, what's up, up with, with that? that? Uh, have you ever had sleep paralysis? I have not. I have. How is it? Not cool. Is your sleep I did paralysis... get bored real quick. Okay. Because you realize you're just, like, forced to stare at something for a while. And, yeah. like, you know, your eyes can move, what, 180 degrees? So if there's something in, like, a quarter of just that... Just about, yeah. I'm, I, I max out at about 160. I was going to say, it's not a clear line. No. Because your peripherals don't capture everything but it's it's hard because your eyes are balls so anyway or ashtrays depending on you know how old you are what scientist you ask right (laughs) all right well Um, i think we should read well i wanted to talk about it first i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sleep paralysis i'm really sorry okay i had it once you mentioned that (laughs) (laughs) i was asking the audience all right no uh sorry uh I gotta, I gotta keep my voice down. I didn't. I'm. They're, they're starting to see what I'm like outside of this show. They're starting to see how angry I can make you. Yeah. God fucking shit. So with with sleep paralysis, uh, a lot of people. There's like a documentary uh, that is just very a very cool document doc documentary, documentary. that uh, I'm high. Come on, man. 
There's a cool documentary about sleep paralysis. About sleep paralysis. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And a lot of people talk about seeing shadow people. Cool. And they call them their sleep paralysis demons. Because it's it and it's plural most of the time. It's not just one. They say there's like a shadow person or shadow people. Where do they all go? I don't have all of the answers, okay? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm We're going to find out from your chill guy friend. I hope so. Well, and, and this are. guy only has one sleep paralysis demon. I remember seeing a gaggle. A gaggle. I definitely saw a gaggle, which I would define as anywhere from three to seven. Yeah, more than two. More than two. Less and than uh, it wasn't ominous, you know, like how when you see like a shadow and you're immediately like creeped out, like, yeah, yeah. you know, like you're not sure if that's like real or not. It turns out just to be like your your uh, coat hanging in your closet or something, you know, it's like that's not a person it just looks like one. And you're and you're kind of scared for a second. And you start thinking more about it. And you're like, but what if it was a person? And then you get scared some more. You, you know what that feels like? Call me right now, please. <laughs> Call me now, please. <laughs> I uh, got you. But I I remember, like, I'm laying in my bed, which you could probably see from my studio door, and I'm, I'm facing the ceiling at a kind of that angle, like 100 degrees. Mm-hmm. And my face is pointed towards my studio, but I see people, like, standing outside of this doorway. That's right? creepy. Yeah. But I think of this studio as a good place, as a fun place, as a place where I go to do things that I have fun doing. And that's why I think the feeling wasn't ominous. Like, if all I were seeing were, like, people coming down the stairs, I think I would have gotten, like, more anxiety. Because then it would have been, like, who are these people? Where did they come from? Like, what are they doing here? Kind of questions. Whereas, why are those people in my studio? You got focused on a good place. I did, and and it helped me out of it because sleep paralysis is one of those things that feels long, mm-hmm. when really it's just minutes, and your your mind is somewhere else, chemically speaking. So you don't you don't actually keep track of time. You you wake up, realize it's happening, and before you you know think about it, you fall back asleep again, and then you wake up and your normal functions are back, and it kind of is like, you know, you sit there thinking. Was that a dream? Was that real? Or was it an in-between of the two? And I really do think it's like an in-between of the two most of the time, which is where this, like, demon part comes in. Because it's your your brain trying to function in full REM, but you're having such a visceral reaction to being awake that fast that your brain doesn't... It's trying to catch up. Yeah. And... It's just it's just interesting to think about because there are types of dreams where it's like you know it's a dream and you're still in the dream and you can kind of control the dream to a sense. And then there's like the complete opposite, which in this case I would say is sleep paralysis, which is this might be a dream, this might be real, I have no idea, I'm terrified, I'm anxious, yeah. I have zero control over this situation. And if you have zero control over a situation and there's like an ominous presence in the room, that's fucking terrifying. That's like you're in a but dream. But if it's a pretty chill and you can't guy, run away. right? Yeah, no, that's that's fair, fair, uh, 
comparison. A uh, comparison. But, uh, uh, comparison. And uh, if he was a pretty chill guy, then it wouldn't be that bad. You know, just some someone kind of talking. Yeah. Like like, you know, through a microphone in your ears it's while you're so do, while you're doing something else that you you know, you don't usually have someone talking directly at you, you know, when you're doing that thing that you're doing. When you're a little when you're, stoned and you're you're If you're driving your car or driving your car a little stoned. Washing your dishes or like cleaning your closet or something and you're listening to people Talking and you're definitely stoned. You're gonna be, in any you're of gonna these be situations. like this for a long time. That could be pretty chill. It can. It can be. You wanna read? Yeah. My sleep paralysis demon is actually a pretty chill guy from Reddit No Sleep. My first memory of sleep paralysis happened when I was ten years old. I remember because it was the night my parents took me to see Shrek 2. Fuck for, yeah, dude. Yeah, hell yeah. For getting good marks on my report card. It was an evening show, so we got in late, and my mom tucked me straight into bed when we got home. It was around 4 a.m. when I woke up. The light from my alarm clock told me that much. I couldn't feel anything. Not my pajamas against my skin, or the warmth of my head against the pillow. I could feel my arms and legs, but they felt heavy, as if a great weight was holding them down. I tried to call out, but I couldn't. My voice got caught in my throat my lips unable to move. I mustered a weak groan that sounded like a cross between a frog's croak and a zombie's moan, but that was it. I thought I was dead, that this is what death feels like, being awake but unable to move or tell anyone. My mind wrestled with the idea of being placed in a coffin, unable to tell anyone I was still alive in here, unable to move or say anything as the lid closed and they put me in the ground still alive that's like an actual fear i have it's played out here my fear subsided as i felt my heart thudding in my chest in response to my near panic attack i also became aware of my breathing which slowed as the fear subsided i calmed a little thinking it was just a dream <laughs> that's when i saw him for the first time mr brownstick legs Mr. Brown Stick Legs. All one word. Mr. Brown Stick Legs. Mr. Brown Stick Legs. Mr. Brown Stick, stick legs. legs. Won't you tell me what you do? Why you got the stick legs? Why you got a poo? <laughs> <laughs> he huddled in the corner of what the What do you room. think he means by stick legs, though? Do you mean like like you pull a branch down, you break a stick off, and that's what it's Come like? On, or are you talking popsicle stick? Come on, man. Stick? Come on, man. Are we talking popsicle stick? Have you ever heard of a metaphor? Have you even ever considered the possibility that that could be, like, a metaphor? There has to be a reason he's calling him that that we're going to find out shortly, but I'm saying. Could it be that it's a metaphor for how all right, skinny okay, his all legs right, are? All right, continue, all right. Or. All right. Or. It could have little jokes on his legs. See, like I was going to say stick. like a little popsicle stick. God damn it. <laughs> That's when I saw him for the first time, Mr. Brownstick Legs. Mr. Brownstick Legs. He huddled in the corner of the room by my closet. His two oversized red eyes glowed in the dark of my bedroom. His face was like a porcelain mask. White, expressionless, with no mouth or nose. Only those two haunting red eyes. When he stood up, his body unfolded like origami, 
until his head reached the ceiling. His neck bent, tilting forward as his true height was greater than the height of my room. His long black torso was covered in shimmering symbols that reflected red in the light of his glowing eyes. He stood on two spindly thin legs that disappeared into the shadows of the room. Yeah, I don't think it's popsicle sticks. I'm thinking of like spirited away. Oh, you're wearing the shirt. I'm wearing the shirt. I, I'm, I'm thinking of that guy. I'm thinking of no but face. But with like popsicle yeah. sticks. Yeah, little stick legs. Yeah. Yeah. No face is good to think of. That's fair. Mm -hmm. uh, he made no noise. Where am I? He made no noise. Oh, he made no noise as he moved. See me. <laughs> Start over. <laughs> he made no noise as he moved, seeming to glide as he hovered closer to my bed. His long, thin arms reached down to me as I moaned through paralyzed lips. <sighs> I could not scream, even though I very much wanted to. Oh, fuck. His fingers reaching through the darkness down to my face. Two pointed fingers touched against my eyelids, pushing them closed. Oh, that's nice. I remember his fingertips feeling cool, but not cold. Even though the ends of his fingertips looked sharp, his touch was gentle. Do not struggle, little one. Sleep. Sleep, he said. His voice was so deep, I could feel it in my chest when he spoke. I feel like you should do it then. Do not struggle, little one. Sleep. Sleep. That's good. We'll, we'll perfect it as we go. That's fine. As we usually do. Yeah. I did as instructed, convincing myself that it indeed was a dream. Hmm. Even if it wasn't, the back of my eyelids was more reassuring than looking into those piercing red eyes and his vacant mask of a face. I closed my eyes, wanting it to be a dream, willing it to be a dream. I woke up the next morning, thankfully able to move, walk, and talk. I explained what I saw to my parents, who both agreed that it was a dream. My mom tried floating the idea that something from Shrek 2 scared me, Mm -hmm. But neither my dad or I bought it. It's not I a very scary movie. Say my sexuality towards that movie scares me. I don't remember the plot of Shrek 2. Can you illuminate me? Oh my god, how do you not remember? I don't know, I didn't watch Shrek 2 that much. So they had just gotten... Dude, Shrek 2 is the best of, of all of them. I'm really sorry to all the listeners right now. I'm very disappointing the as a couch opens, salesman. The, op the movie opens... With, do the whole plot? <laughs> I will do the whole plot right okay. now. <clears throat> so the movie opens fresh after the, the wedding of Shrek and Fiona, mm -hmm. and they're going on honeymoon, and that's when uh, that song plays, Accidentally in Love. Oh, no. I'm so sorry, I'm said, sorry. what's the problem, baby? What's the problem? Well, I know why, baby, I'm in love. Love. I think about it every time. And then so they go on this honeymoon, but Donkey, of course, wants to join because he's a cock block. Yes. So... 
even though he's got fucking dragon of his own to fucking hump, you know, he's still... She's huge. He, yeah, no, she's banging. So he, he comes along anyway. So then she says, oh, I can't actually get married until we meet my parents. So they go to far, far away oh, yeah, to go right. meet the rich parents of Fiona who raised their daughter to not be an ogre, even though it's the dad's fault that she's cursed, which you don't find out till later. So they want her to marry this beautiful prince, but now she's an ogre and she's going to marry an ogre and they're all kind of disgusted by him. And that's when he comes with the idea because it's stereotypical for girls in these dreams to have a meeting with the fairy godmother when they're teenagers who are going to tell them how their life plays out. And he says, this fairy godmother set my wife up for shit. I wish I could be a human, a dashing beautiful prince so that I could get married to Fiona in her human form and then we could be happily engaged forevermore. And so they they contact the fairy godmother who sings a really fun song and says, <laughs> I can't I can't make ogres into beautiful people because you're not supposed to have a happily ever after. You're, you're just supposed to sit in a swamp like a dumb little shit. And so he says, fuck that. I'm going to break into your company and steal a magic potion that'll turn me into a beautiful young man so I could marry my, my betrothed. And she says, fuck you, that's never going to happen, and hires Puss in Boots to go after him and stop him from, from doing that. It's kind of like Zorro. Who, Antonio Banderas. And so when they go and they break into the factory, they steal the potion, but they meet, a, you know, they meet Puss in Boots along the way who's like, I can't let you do that, and they actually win him over by saving his life. And he goes, okay, now I see you're actually a nice guy. That bitch who wanted me to kill you is actually a, truly a bitch. And so, you know, they, they drink the potion. They mm -hmm. test the potion. Right. Because Puss in Boots, of course, well, wants, to, wants to try it. And he yeah. says, you know, it could be poison. I owe you my life. Let me try it first. And Donkey says, nah, fuck you. I'm his best friend. I'm going to try it first. And then Shrek says, okay, so Donkey survived that shit, sadly. So now I'm going to try it, and I'm going to turn into uh, a beautiful man. And they wake up the next day, and Donkey is a horse, and Shrek is a human. And it's fucking mind-blowing, right? And right. so Prince he says... He said, well, not Prince Charming. Okay, that's I'm sorry, I'm that's sorry, I'm sorry, character. I'm sorry, it is, it is. That's an actual character who turns out to be the son of the fairy godmother. Oh was, my god, who was conniving, Who was conniving this whole time. No! To send her son, claiming to be Shrek, to marry human Fiona, so that she could finally, like, you know, two birds, one stone, that shit. The ultimate faux pas. However... Shrek, now being human again, wants to go find Fiona, and, and then he shows up, and uh, he's told that uh, she no longer wants him anymore oh by God. both the dad and the fairy godmother, and he gets all sad, and he says, I guess I will, you know, let her be human and marry her human, and I'll go be sad somewhere, and I will... You must won't. In the swamp, and you know, de denigrate himself, and you know, get and he gets back to that, and then, and then uh, I forget who or how. I think it's everyone. They come and bail him out of jail. Pinocchio, Big Bad Wolf, Three Blind Mice. They they bail him out of jail, and they're like, "Stop feeling the, so the fucking bad." Man. Yeah, man. I remember that. Feel so bad about yourself, and and we're gonna save you so that you could go through with this plan, and we could we could go and get you. 
uh, back with Fiona, and he's like, Hal, we'll never breach the castle. And that's when little Gingy says, I, I made a brother that we could ride uh, into the, the castle and break down the, the thing. And big brother's like, I love you, and like carries them all the way over there, and then his arms fall off because of uh, some superheated milk. And he falls into the bottom of the... And then the the fairy godmother starts singing, I need a hero, which is ironic, because she's the one lying about her son being right there. And meanwhile, there's this really great montage about how Shrek is breaking into the castle to undo her mission. And then, uh, yeah, they break in, and Puss has a really great moment where he repays his debt to Shrek by protecting him from, uh, like, an army of people. And then Shrek confronts the fairy godmother, and, uh, you know, she gives up her, her plot, which is that Prince Charming's actually her son, and it's the father's fault that Fiona even has the curse, because uh, he's cursed himself, and she goes to zap Shrek and fucking murk him Avada Kedavra style, and the dad jumps in front of the, in front of him and saves his life. Oh my god. After everything he after did. After all that. You know? Wow. And, uh, and He's he, redeemed. He actually turns into a frog and says, I actually was that whole princess in the frog story. I was the frog who asked the fairy godmother to turn me into a person, and she, uh, she in turn, uh, cursed my daughter. So yeah, you know, that's, that's how that worked out. And, uh, you know, he's just a frog now. It, Dad's it, a frog. And yeah. then she says, well, you know, we're still human. Shrek's still human. He's like, kiss me while I'm still human before the, you know, the spell wears off. And she's like, I don't love you like this. I love you like my big green boy. Aww. And he and he turns back into an ogre and she turns back into an ogre. And then they kiss and it's sealed. It's fucking it's sealed. It's hot. And, um... And then the uh, the movie ends with everyone singing "Living La Vida Loca." Uh, upside, inside out, "Living La Vida yeah. Loca." It's a uh, it's Puss and Donkey doing and uh, doing the cover of it. Holy shit! I I feel like I missed out on something. Well, I watched it. I saw. I definitely saw it once or twice, maybe. But not enough, apparently. How'd you miss? How did you? Let's continue the story. I watched Shrek 1 more than I watched Shrek 2. Nah, Shrek 2 was so much better, man. Yeah. <laughs> you weren't there for me as a kid. <laughs> you weren't there for me. That's <laughs> Should have made me watch Shrek 2. Yeah, sure. I mean... Is what it is. No one can make you like Shrek 2 more than Shrek 1. I just think... When you get all the exposition out of the way, truthfully, you can have more fun with the characters. Or more characters. It it. Well, it's the fact that you don't it's have better to, story. You. Uh, uh, I don't know. The way you told it, I I would love for you to just. We could, we could skip both stories today, and you could just keep going. Keep... Do you want me to retell all of the Shrek movies? The whole Shrek verse. The whole Shrek verse. The whole. Dude, I don't even. I don't like three, soup to nuts. I don't like three enough to even talk about it. Okay. And, and the fourth right. and the fourth one was regrettable. Yeah. Well. So, well. Yeah. That's uh, what was regrettable about. The, what was like the main idea of the fourth one? Time travel. So you can't fuck with time travel. Rumpelstiltskin, played by Tom Kenny, is all like, "Let me send you 
back in time so that you never married Fiona and she went off and married someone else and he gets sent to an alternate future where Fiona still became an ogre and led like an ogre army to overtake uh, the the swamp and like there's a bunch of ogres now that's, that's kind bullshit. of power. that's bullshit yeah. well anyway so it ties into the story like obviously Shrek 2 is not going to scare you because any movie that has Liv and La Vida Loca at the end of it Shrek 3 scared me, if we're being honest. Okay. But Shrek 2... But Shrek 2 is safe. Yeah, so... His mom tried floating the idea that something from Shrek 2 scared him, but neither my dad or I bought it. Right, because it's a wonderful film. Right. That's been confirmed. Yeah. For confirmation, Dad asked that I draw a picture of what I saw for them. As I was drawing, I ran out of black crayon and had to finish... How do you say crayon? I, I say it the same way you do, which is kind of like crayon. 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 C-R-A-N. Crown. As I was drawing, I ran out of black crayon and had to finish <laughs> his legs with the next darkest color in my crayon box. Hey there, Miss, Mr. Brownstick Legs, my dad said as I handed him the drawing. You leave my daughter alone, alone now, you hear? <laughs> This is how my sleep paralysis demon ended up with the name Mr. Brownstick Legs. Fair enough. There you go. Giving him a silly name helped take some of the edge off of going to bed the following night. My dad even did a sweep of the room, calling out for him. Here, Mr. Brownstick Legs! Whistling as if he were calling him a dog. <laughs> it made me giggle and the whole episode felt more fun than scary. But once they tucked me in and turned off the light, I felt the dread creeping back in. Darkness hits harder when you expect to find something lurking in the shadows. I don't know how long I searched, but I eventually fell asleep. In the weeks following, I searched for Mr. Brownstick Legs every night as I fell asleep. Even when I went to sleepovers, I would do a cursory check in, the, in case he tagged along to a friend's house. As time passed, my searches became less frequent. It was a couple of months later, the night before my first day of fifth grade, when I woke up to Mr. Brownstick legs straddled over my bed, his empty plate, a face of a face, inches from my own. A scream stuck in my throat, coming out sounding like a gush of air releasing from a pool float. Hush, child, he said. His voice was deep, echoless. I didn't know how he spoke without a mouth, but I heard him nonetheless. I saw that he held a piece of paper in his thin fingers, crumpled on the edges and torn. He held it up to show me. On the page was a pink blob with blue dots for eyes and a droll red smile and stick lines for legs and arms. It was lying on a blue rectangle. I found the pictures you drew of me. So I drew a picture of you, he said. Do you like it? <laughs> I tried nodding, but I couldn't move. I tried answering, but all that came out was the same dry, croaking sound. Will you draw another one for me? I so liked the first one. You gave me pants. I look good in pants. <laughs> Again, I was unable to respond or move to give him an answer. He must have been able to read my intent, 
because he tucked the picture under my pillow before closing my eyes again. When I woke up in the morning, I bolted upright and tossed my pillow off the bed. My heart leapt into my throat when I found the picture. It wasn't a dream. He was real. I went to my desk and began drawing a picture of... I went to my desk and began drawing a picture for him, starting with his face and eyes, trying to capture as much detail as I could remember. I'd forgotten all about the first day of school until my mom opened the door and found me still in my pajamas. Lexi! She yelled, startling me as I was coloring in his eyes. Your bus'll be here in less than an hour! Get dressed now! I tucked my picture into my school backpack and got dressed. I finished my drawing at recess that day, using my brand new Crayola 64 pack that I got with my back-to-school supplies. Nice. I gave him blue pants this time, figuring he'd like to see himself in jeans. I wrote his name, Mr. Brown Stick Legs, at the bottom of the picture and drew a smiley face next to him, hoping he'd like his nickname. I flipped the paper over to write him a message on the back. I wanted to ask him questions, but didn't want to anger him since he visited me when I was at my most vulnerable. I wrote out my letter on a separate piece of paper before copying it over to the back of my picture. Dear Mr. Brown Sticklegs, that's your name. My name is Lexi. I am in the fifth grade. What is your name? How old are you? Do you go to school? Why do you visit my bedroom? Why can't I move when you visit? You look scary, but you also seem nice. I hope we can be friends. Love, Lexi. P.S. I hope you like your blue pants. I added another smiley face at the end of my letter, my final emphasis on wanting to be friends. I considered a closing with sincerely, but I figured love was a better, friendlier choice. I tucked the picture under my pillow that night, now anxious to see him rather than filled with dread of his reappearance. But like last time, he did not return the next day or the day after. The days stretched into weeks, and every morning I found the picture tucked under my pillow from the night before. It wasn't until Thanksgiving break that I saw him again. My eyes opened as the morning sun poked through the blinds of my bedroom. His body didn't look any different in the light. In fact, his black skin seemed darker, absorbing the sun's rays without giving anything back. His eyes seemed wider than before. If he had a mouth, I f it would have figured he was smiling. In his slender fingers was the picture I drew for him. Hello, Lexi, he said. Thank you for the picture. I do look good in blue pants. I wanted to smile, but well, sleep paralysis. He flipped the picture over to the side with my letter. I will answer your questions the best I can. I do not have a name, not one you could ever pronounce, but I am happy for you to call me Mr. Brownstickleggs. As for my age, I exist outside of the construct of time. Therefore, I am ageless. 
I do not go to school. Nor do I know what school is. Why do I visit you? I visit to feed on the energy of your soul. My breath quickened as a mute groan exited my teeth. I wanted to run, wanted to get away from him, but I was pinned down, unable to move. He sensed my uneasiness and tried to calm me by patting my forehead. Let me explain. Have you been to the ocean? It appears vast, almost limitless, as you stare out into the blue water, with no visible land on the other side. In my mind I was standing on a beach. I felt the salty ocean breeze against my face as I looked out over the massive body of water. The waves crashed at my feet. I felt the rush of water over them, followed by the trickle of sand and pebbles as the water drew back. Your soul is like an ocean, child. Vast. Limitless. Undefinable by words to your understanding. I take only a tiny sip, a single glass of water from a vast ocean. I am not one who could consume an entire ocean. Dark clouds formed over the water as I stared at the white-capped waves. The clouds unleashed a heavy downpour turning the horizon gray as rain fell from the sky over the ocean. Just as rain falls over the ocean, your soul can replenish itself by more than I could ever consume, not even in a thousand of your years. Does that make you feel better? On the beach, in my mind's vision, I nodded. In my bedroom, he nodded back at me. Good. As for your last question, why you cannot move, we are meeting at a point outside of your time where your world and mine touch. Your physical body cannot move here. But if you persist, you can learn to speak with me, with your mind, and I will answer your questions in exchange for your drawings. You can draw pictures of whatever you like. I want to know more of your world. In my mind, I nodded again. This knowledge is a gift so we can understand one another more. I am not one who would hurt you. He pressed his fingertips to my eyelids again, closing them. In my mind's eye, I was still on the beach, but the sun was setting and no stars were visible through the rain. I drifted back to sleep to the sound of falling rain. The next morning, I asked my parents for a sketchbook and colored pencils. They tried to hold me off until Christmas, 
but since I spent most of my afternoons and weekends drawing pictures up in my room, Dad let me open one of my gifts a week early. A Strathmore sketchbook with a hundred pages and a fifty-pack of Crayola-colored pencils. I started by drawing the rest of my family. Mom, Dad, my little brother Tommy, our cat Libby, and even though he had died, our dog, Pancakes. Next I drew our house, then our car, then my school. I kept drawing anything I could think of. Trees, birds, insects, until my sketchbook was full. I used my allowance to purchase more books so I could keep drawing. I honed my craft, redoing my earlier drawings in greater detail. My thoughts considered his wording. I am not one who could consume an entire ocean. I wanted to ask him if there were those who could, but I wasn't sure if I wanted to know such things. Mr. Brownstick Legs didn't return until my freshman year of high school. To him, it wasn't like any time had passed. I read up on lucid dreaming and the time between visits so that when he returned, I would be better capable of talking to him. He held my book in his hands, flipping through my drawings, doting over the increased refinement of my drawing skills. I'd filled a dozen sketch pads and upgraded from Crayola to Prismacolor Premier pencils for my drawings. What a come up. <laughs> his biggest surprise was when, after he complimented my drawings, I spoke to him. Thank you, I said, seeing the words in my mind as I spoke them aloud. If he had a surprise expression, his eyes showed it. You have been very busy, child, he said. Do you have any questions you would like to ask? I hesitated, but finally formed the words in my mind. Are there creatures who can consume an entire ocean? He didn't respond right away, which made me think I had not asked properly. As I asked him a second time, he put a finger to my lips as if to shush me. There are those who can. They are known as dark ones. They are capable of consuming entire souls, emptying them out, leaving them dry and barren. You should not fear them, but you should also not provoke them. His eyes curved downward, as if concerned or afraid. What do they look like? I asked. In my mind, my visions were filled with images of great, terrible creatures. Spiders taller than the Empire State Building, on thin, spindly legs of shadow and smoke. Tentacled monsters in the seas, lofting blue whales like they were toys, ripping them to shreds with their curved, chitinous beaks. Great, ghastly flying creatures that knocked over orchards and forests with the beat of their leathery wings. Dementors. I slowed, I showed you, oh, sorry. I showed you only because you ask, Mr. Brown Sticklegs said. But it is best that we don't talk or think about them. Let them be. I nodded in my mind, 
He leaned forward and pressed his plate-like face to my head as if to kiss me on the forehead, which was odd since he didn't have a mouth. Then, as usual, he closed my eyes and I drifted back to sleep. My life took a downturn during the latter years of high school. My dad lost his job, and when the search for a new one dragged on, he turned to drinking to cope with his failure. He wasn't abusive, but he wasn't fun to be around either. In the months following, my parents would hush their arguing when I entered the room, greeting me with smiles as if nothing were wrong. That lasted until the day I came home from school to, to them fighting over a foreclosure notice from the bank. We moved out over a weekend from our home in the suburbs to an apartment on the other side of town. I internalized my feelings during that time. I withdrew from my friends and school activities besides the art club, the only one we could still afford. I saw my friends driving to school and hanging out while I rode the bus, too poor and too far out, out of the way to join in. My taste began to change as well. Out of the bubblegum pop of Katy Perry, Kesha, and Taylor Swift. Instead, I listened to Pierce the Veil, Sleeping with Sirens, and Bring Me the Horizon. Oh, so your taste turned to shit. There's tons of middle ground. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say from shit to shit. Yeah. There's so much in the middle. There's good, that makes me there's, sad. There's good taste missing there. Yeah, like... Anyway. It, it's like she had two choices, and they're both bad. <laughs> My clothes and makeup became darker. More black t-shirts, and skirts with black eyeliner, and black fingernail polish. Mom called it my goth phase. Not that she understood. My drawings became darker, too. I moved from colored pencils to charcoal, drawing skulls and gothic-looking cemeteries as my passion for drawing animals and flowers waned. I also drew the dark ones in great detail, exactly how I remembered them in my mind's eye. Mr. Brownstick Legs visited me again a month after we moved back into the apartment. He looked more at home in my room of blacklight posters and death metal bands than he did in my previous room. His eyes were dim, not the vibrant red as they were before. He stared at me as I lay in bed, unable to move. He moved inches away from my face as I heard his words in my mind. Your soul tastes different now. He didn't speak of my drawings. I worried that he might, especially since I had been drawing the dark ones. Not only drawing them, but thinking about them and what kind of damage they could do if they were to wake. He seemed sad for me, although reading his expression was difficult with no face. He patted my forehead like before, but didn't close my eyes before leaving as he used to. My life continued its spiraling path like a bottle rocket with a broken stick. My parents didn't talk outside of short conversations about which bills to pay and which ones to ignore. 
Each night, Dad disappeared into a bottle while Mom disappeared online to chat with a male Facebook friend she knew from high school. Oof. Fucking rough. The thing about Rock Bottom is that it's often a disguise for a trapdoor that drops you to an even lower depth than you thought possible. The first bottom came when my father died. Drove off the road into a gravel pit late at night with an empty bottle of bourbon in the passenger seat. I cried, but it felt hollow. I felt hollow. Even when my mom tried to hold me, I felt nothing inside. Not sadness, not guilt, not anything. I disappeared into my sketchbooks, drawing even darker, more disturbing images. Death, dismemberment, vividly accurate vivisections of the cute animals I used to enjoy drawing. My friends no longer talked to me, which was fine because I didn't want to talk to them anymore anyways. I found more I found people to hang out with. Not friends, but people who could get me to access moments of chemical-induced euphoria to forget about life for a while. Drugs? Drugs. Just like that, the trapdoor opened, dropping me to a new rock bottom of addiction. One thing I had in common with my dad, but instead of falling into a bottle, I fell into a needle. I stole money from my mom's purse to feed my habits. Not that she noticed. She was busy with her old Facebook friend, who had moved from online acquaintance to nightly sleepover companion. When the time came to begin my senior year, I didn't bother going back. I kept drawing, filling entire sketchbooks with dark images that reflected my bleak outlook on life. The dark ones were prevalent subjects during this period of my life. I drew them feasting on humanity, raking flesh from bone in their jagged teeth behind lips of smoke. I came home one night to find my mom and her new male friend in the middle of a fight. It was different from her fights with dad, more violent, more physical. When he raised his hand at me for trying to intervene, I decided it was time to bolt. I left home, hitching rides with anyone with a set of wheels I could manage to put up for, with for short periods of time. My preference leaned towards those with access to the chemical release I craved. The more I could numb, the more I could escape. I found certain drug combinations had similar effects to sleep paralysis, where my mind's ability to control my body's action became severed. In those moments of numbed paralysis, I'd see Mr. Brownstick legs watching from afar as I dulled the pain. I saw what I perceived as the dark ones too, but they weren't hiding in the shadows like Mr. Brownstick legs did. They were the shadows. I called out to them as well, for in those moments I wanted nothing more than to be hollowed out and empty, a void so dark no pain could ever penetrate it. When they didn't answer, I called out to Mr. Brownstick Legs, but he would vanish every time. Perhaps it was all just a drug-fueled hallucination. Overdosing was never my intention. I was pushing too much, trying to find the edge of the void after feeling so low, so very low, searching 
for that extra something to filter out the background noise. I took it too far, giving myself a near-lethal dose. At one moment, I was lying next to strangers on a stained mattress in an abandoned warehouse. Hmm. Then came the initial rush of euphoric bliss, and then nothing. Whoever I was traveling with at the time dumped me on the curb in front of the ER, making me someone else's problem. This was my rock-bottom moment, although at the time, it felt more like a freefall. I spent three weeks in a coma. I was aware of my surroundings, and could hear the doctors and nurses as they checked my vitals and tended to my cleanliness and upkeep, but I couldn't move or speak. At the end of my third week in the ICU on an incub incubator, I looked up to find Mr. Brownstick legs hovering over me, his round red eyes peering through the darkness. What have you done to yourself, child? His voice spoke inside my mind. In my mind, I was beside him, standing in the middle of a vast salt-flat desert. The ground was cracked and dry in a hexagonal pattern that stretched out in all directions. This is your soul now. There is nothing left to drink. I heard my beep of the heart rate monitor back in my hospital room speed up as fear entered my mind. I called out to the dark ones. I asked for them to come. They emptied me out, emptied my soul. No, my child. You did this. You have not replenished. You have only consumed. And now, nothing remains. I dropped to my knees in the middle of the salt as I felt a rumbling deep inside the hollow pit of my stomach. I leaned forward onto my arms. But they were no longer my arms. They were pitch black and empty. I could feel them, but when I looked at them, they were empty voids of smoke and shadow. I stood up on my legs, but they were no longer my legs. The darkness swirled up my torso and down my arms. The emptiness inside me consumed my entire body until only my head remained. What's happening to me? I heard a snap as my arms and legs split forming eight black, sp spindly, thin legs. I collapse onto them, unable to support myself. Mr. Brownstick legs glided down in front of my face, his eyes inches from my own. As I told you, child, only the Dark Ones have the ability to consume an entire ocean of a soul. That is your fate. That is what you will become. Back in the room, my heart rate monitor crashed to a flat line. I felt the cold darkness swirl up my neck to my head as the void consumed me. I was aware of the nurses and doctors huddled around my body, prepping the crash cart, but all I felt was the cold consuming what was left of me. Help me, please. My physical body jolted from the electric paddles, but I felt nothing, only cold darkness. 
a needle injected into my IV line as they recharged for another burst of electricity. Still I felt nothing. Only cold. Only darkness. Only the vast emptiness of the void. Mr. Brownstick legs tilted his head as he stared through the, um, his unblinking red eyes. He leaned forward, pressing his plate-like face onto my forehead. I felt a vibration against my skin, followed by the tingling sensation of heat returning. The darkness receded back down my arms and legs. As he pulled back, the red in his eyes had diminished. A gift for the girl who gave me pants. A tear formed in me eye. It rolled down me cheek and fell onto the parched landscape below. Before I could say anything, an electronic jolt coursed through my body, pulling me away from the salt flat expanse and back to my hospital room. The sinus rhythm of my heart rate monitor returned to normal. I felt the cool gel of the defibrillator paddles against my chest. I remember squeezing the hand of one of the attending nurses who smiled down at me. Look who's awake. I cried, but it was different than before. I felt the pain I, I had long been avoiding, but I felt something else as well. I felt grateful, and I felt a sense of hope I hadn't known for a long time. It was a long road back from the darkness, but the thing about the road to recovery is that, like a road, it leads to a destination. After years of listless drifting toward the void, having a destination was an important first step in finding self-love. I reconnected with my mother, who was struggling with her own form of the darkness. We leaned on one another, talking and going to therapy as we worked through the issues that drove us apart. After my release from the hospital, I moved back home with her, her Facebook friend long gone. I got my GED and used my many sketchbooks as a portfolio to get an apprenticeship at a tattoo parlor. I've been clean for four years now, and it feels good to smile again. Granted, I still prefer Pierce the Veil to anything from Katy Perry's catalog, and my tattoos and jewelry have more skulls than fluffy bunnies. But that's all on the surface. I no longer crave the darkness to consume me. I often think about the vision with Mr. Brownstick legs on the salt flats that night in the hospital. I had not seen him since that night, and I often wonder about the state of my soul since that day. Has it replenished, or has it still the dried up, barren wasteland that he took me to on that night? Last night, around three in the morning, I finally got my answer. I woke up with a heaviness on my chest, arm, and legs. At first, I felt the grips of fear grabbing hold, much like the first time I experienced it. But then in the dark corner of my room, I saw glowing red eyes staring back at me from the shadows. In spite of my sleep paralysis, couldn't help but smile when I heard this voice call out to me. Child. Your soul tastes much better now. I liked that a lot. I did too. It was, it was sweet. It wasn't just... Like, there was creepiness. Like, yeah, sure, it's creepy. But it's, that it's, creepy, on a, it's, it's creepy on a very thin upper level. Yeah. Where the deeper levels are more about, like, you know what's scary? Addiction. Yeah, drugs. Yeah. Bad like, drugs. Loss, death. Yeah. Dying, you know, losing people. 
That's scarier than sleep paralysis. Slipping further and further into mm-hmm. a bad place. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. easy to do when you think about mm-hmm. it too much. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's really fucking <coughs> easy to do because it happens all the fucking time to yeah. pretty much anyone who allows it to happen. So, you know, it, uh, it comes for you like a thief in the night, just like that Mr. Brown stick legs. Yeah, but he wasn't a thief. He was, uh... <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, he, he was, was more, trading. uh... He was, he was a thief, but he, he was, was like, things. uh... He was, uh... Yeah, he was trading wisdom for... Yeah, he liked to... He was a, he was a cobbler. Yeah. He, he cobbled. was a cobbler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. It um, had really, um... It really did have Spirited Away kind of kind of vibes to it for a while and oh, then yeah. they talked about pierce the veil too much but yeah you know again guys if you're listening to pierce the veil like i have i've rex for you i can help you like mastodon is is pretty cool i'm gonna say something i usually don't say on this show oh and, my god and i'm gonna say that you read that story so well that it almost put me to sleep thanks man and i'm not i'm gonna say like like, you had that, like, audible, like, chocolate voice there. Like, when you would go into Mr. Brown's dick legs, you were just like, sleep now, child. And I was just like, fuck, I'll fucking okay, sleep yeah, right yeah. now. <laughs> like, Good evening. <laughs> not that I'm tired at all. It's just you start talking like that, and you're talking about sleep, and I'm like, yeah, man, that sounds good. That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah, we were talking about sleep for a while, so. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, we're gonna, I'm, I'm gonna read the story now, and we're gonna see whose story was better, maybe. No, we don't have to. Yeah? Why does everything have to be a competition? You know what? I would rather it be a competition. Okay. Because then, then it's like, versus. (laughs) Versus. (laughs) Versus. I'm gonna read Maria on the Moon, because it sounded fun. It does sound fun. We did, we did, we did Space Girl? Mm Mm-hmm. Or was it Doodle? Doodle Town, Doodle Girl, Spirit Town, Spirit Town. Yeah, we have a lot. That's of... That's not what the story was called, though. No, it wasn't. It was uh, the train. She was like alone on a train, and it was she went to Spirit Town. Yeah, but wasn't it just? Am I mixing up stories? Yes, there uh, was a Space Girl. There, there was, was a Space, a space girl, girl story. About go drawing. back and listen. You, you go to SoundCloud and look at See, the, the Sofa King episodes. <laughs> See, here's the funny thing. I am re-listening to the show, but I'm nowhere near... I've only listened to... I was like talking your, to the audience. I've only listened to like your first episode so far. I'm yeah. only... I'm, I'm, I'm at like 137 right now, so I haven't actually listened to too many of your episodes <laughs> just yet. Um, but you're, you made an appearance, and I was happy to... I, I'm, at least I'm pretty sure you did. Now I need to double-check phone where are you when what was your first episode did i listen to you yet I or think not i was really high that first time i feel did i here's the question maybe first or second have i listened to your first episode yet uh, i don't know if i'm at 137 i think i have yeah 115 yeah i think yeah, the, plot holes. i think uh oh yeah plot, plot holes. holes holy shit I was very stunned. And I'm for that getting one. and I'm getting to your second one. Hey there, guys. Oh. Hey, that's you. Oh, that's the deer. Yeah, deer phone tag. Yeah, I remember yeah. that one too. Yeah, okay. That was fun. So yeah, I have. I'm not a liar. 
everyone. I'm not a fucking liar. You're a fucking liar. So here's, I have listened. I just haven't listened to all of them again. And after I export it, uh, things just leave my mind. So I personally forgot. It's hard to. And I'm mixing up. You, your episodes. And I, I only did like six of them. You did like 250. 57. Seven of them. Yeah. So that's a lot more to along remember. With, along with all the video games we've, all, we've, all, we've also streamed on the YouTube. Not, which not is kind to mention of, that. Yeah, like if you, ever, if you ever have some free time and you just kind of want to watch two guys bullshit while they play an entire video game... Go watch me and uh, Mr. Skellybones play Skelly Dead Bones. Space because all that we do is talk the entire time, and that's three games worth. Hell yeah. We talked all the way through the trilogy of Dead Space. Hell yeah. Anyway. Maria on the Moon. On the Moon. From Reddit No Sleep. And yes, I did pick this one because it sounded like Space Girl. We have strong female characters in our... We have, uh... we have some hot famales on our, on our podcast, you know what I'm saying? Spicy. Anyway. Anyway, did you know that early astronomers thought there were oceans on the moon? I asked, looking up from my book. My mom shifted in her bed, a tangle of IV tubes shifting with her. Of course, the moon seems like the perfect place to find an ocean. What a shame we never found water then. Because those false seas, astronomers called them Maria. Mom smiled. How sweet of them to name the moon oceans after me. Well, they didn't find any oceans, I reminded her. Maybe they just didn't look hard enough. A little laugh slipping from her lips. (laughs) For all of the pain she was in, all of the fear she must feel, my mother always had the kind of laugh that could light a candle. We were in her hospital room, the same one we'd been in and out of for the last year and a half. Sometimes we had a roommate, sometimes we were alone. Always, she held steady enough for the both of us. The rock I typed my hope to. The wall against the grief I knew was coming. Cancer is such a mundane word for something so hungry and cruel. I've noticed medicine does that a lot. Covers horror with tedious language like a bedsheet over a body. Fuck you, cancer. Yeah. Uh, cancer ain't fun. Watched, watched my mom go through a, a type of it and it sucked <laughs> but she survived not many do anyway it's not great malignant inoperable metastasized terminal but when she laughed when she laughed oh, we weren't fuck. in the hospital anymore we were home when she laughed she wasn't sick she was young again and I was a kid and the world was a bright place, begging to be explored. What a miracle my mother was. Cancer had taken so much from her, aged and hurt her. But it could never steal her laugh that was hers to keep. How are we feeling today? The doctor asked. He came in less and less often. We could all sense this was the final stay in this room. Just brilliant, Doc. My mom said, struggling to sit a little higher. We can still go dancing later if you like. Though we'll have to ask for my son's blessing. Ever since his dad died, Brian's been very protective of me. I put on a stern face. I'll need to know your intentions are pure, Dr. Bradshaw. As the driven snow, he played along, 
But I might need a rain check on that dance, Miss Willen. I'm not as young as I used to be. He emphasized his age, running his fingers through gray-white hair, and my mom tapped her bare scalp. Right there with you, Tiger. Mr. Bradshaw smiled, but I could tell he was burdened. I saw him glance at the small idol I'd placed on my mother's nightstand. The talisman was a miniature oak tree carved from gray soapstone. There were four faces etched into the tree, a century against ill health and bitter spirits. I could tell the stone tree made the doctor uncomfortable. In all honesty, I had a tough time looking at the idol for more than a few seconds. The faces were each whittled in vivid expressions. The face closest to my mother's bed was smiling kindly, and the face pointed towards the door was snarling, meant to ward away harm. The final two faces were both weeping. All four shapes were too human, too raw. There was a weirdness to the stone tree that put people on edge, but I'd grown used to every shade of weird you can imagine. My mother's side of the family was full of stories of unexplained luck and mysterious tragedy, whispered secrets and unexplained deaths. By all accounts, my maternal grandmother was either an honest-to-goodness witch or a full-bore high-caliber crazy. Or both. Probably both. The stone tree was from a box of my grandmother's things I'd found in the attic earlier that month. Maybe it was just a coincidence, but my mom did seem to get a little bit better when I'd brought home the talisman, at least for a little while. I was daydreaming about family history in the odd box while Dr. Bradshaw checked his charts and mom's vitals. Can I talk to you for a moment? He asked, ripping me back to reality. Dr. Bradshaw tried to keep a light tone, but I could tell he didn't have good news. The hospital hallway smelled like ammonia and birthday cake. Someone must have had a party, maybe a patient, maybe a nurse. Strange how you remember the insignificant details while your world is crashing down around you. I'm... I'm so sorry, Dr. Bradshaw told me. The results came in this morning. It's spreading aggressively. We... We held it back as long as we could, Brian. Your mom is a fighter, but right now we just need to, well, to try to keep her as comfortable as we can. Brian? The wall was cracking, grief waiting on the other side, heavy and cold as an empty house. I'd known for months that this was most likely outcome, but I'd, it still hurt to hear. Hurt worse than I could stomach. There's nothing left to try, I asked, fighting down the urge to throw up. Anything experimental, untested, anything. Dr. Bradshaw shook his head. I'm sorry. Sometimes we just run out of options. She fought a good fight. How long does she have left? I asked, looking back into her room where she'd fallen asleep. Not long. Maybe days. Have you considered hospice? The smell of ammonia and birthday cake. The steady beep of mom's heart monitor. I tried to focus on the world around me. My hope wasn't dead yet. If medicine couldn't help mom, maybe something older could. I thought of the box of my grandmother's things waiting in the attic. There was a lot in there I hadn't gone through yet. Books and candles and secrets and lost things. Maybe there was a cure or at least a way to keep the fighting going. No. If all that's left is to make her comfortable, I want to take her home. The doctor smiled. I understand. We can give you some medication, ways to help her with the pain, 
and he put his hand on my shoulder. Your mom's been in a lot of pain, but she'll have peace soon. You've done all you can. I know. I lied. Thank you. Mom lived in a small ranch house ten miles outside of town. There wasn't much in the way of neighbors besides some wood and creek slithering through her yard. It was a windy... Windy? It's so windy. I thought he was going to say, like, a the river. Yeah, I was thinking so, too. It was a windy, warm March afternoon when I took my dying mother home. That night I began my work. I was going to turn the house into a bunker. A maze death could never solve. I would keep my mother safe. I would find a way to keep her alive. The little red book was full of ideas. Running water was an obvious place to start. The creek behind the house was barely a trickle, but it should provide some coverage to the south side of the property. Salt was next, lining the doorway and window frames, then in an unbroken circle around the entire house. This step was to be repeated daily. The red book stressed, or even multiple times per day. Even a moderate breeze played holy havoc with any salt poured outside, so it was always best to trace and retrace every few hours. Water and salt were common defenses against man's oldest enemy and well-known. The book offered other, less conventional, advice. It took me nearly a week to finish carving the symbols and signs into the walls, the floors, even the trees on the property. Sometime around noon on the third day, on my back in the crawlspace etching, strange marks on the underside of the floor, it struck me how ridiculous I was acting. There was no proof that any of the information in the little red book was anything other than a delusional ramblings of a bizarre woman I'd only met once or twice as a child. For all I knew, the rooms meant to ward off death were actually a grocery list written in Cantonese. But I was desperate, and every time I saw my mother she looked frailer, more fragile. So I continued carving, and praying, and building layers upon layers of protections to keep death far away. Making my marks took me all over property. It was a big yard, nearly three acres, that blended gradually into the surrounding forest. I wasn't able to pinpoint the exact boundary where cultivated met nature, the edges simply blend together, but I did my best to create a clean border with lines between the symbols. I'd always loved the wilderness here, the way you could wander a few hundred yards away from home and feel like you traveled hundreds of years into the past to somewhere primal. Fossils. This was the perfect playground for a kid. If it was a primal shout. I don't think it was very primal. <laughs> Whether I was out exploring trails <laughs> or trapping minnows. That was primal. Or spending the summer building yet another treehouse convinced this would be the final one. It never was. I was never satisfied. The house itself, though small, was more than enough room for my mother and me. Dad died when I was seven. I don't remember much about him. Just how big he seemed. With a bonfire grin and arms that I thought could hold the whole world. My mom often said I, I took after my father. I could see it in the old pictures of him. We have the same eyes, green as moss in the summer, and the same fiery shock of red hair, enemy to every comb on the planet. The sicker mom got, the more often she called me by my father's name, and I worried when she drifted away like that, but a part of me was proud she'd mistake me for him. After all of the symbols were carved, there were a few steps left in the book to deter death... Deter to deter. I'm I'm fucking high. I I when I'm high, I read like shit. Amen. Hence the podcast. What? After all the what? symbols were carved, there wait, were a few. Wait, 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 wait. Hence the pot. Lots of pasta. 
Yeah. I'm, well, you want to eat lots of pasta. No, I'm just saying I read like shit. To deter death from visiting. Hey, man, you're doing great. There were dozens of charms and talismans in the bottom of the old box in the attic. I sat up there combing through everything my grandmother left behind, referencing the red book, pushing the tiny charms into tiny files. None of the idols were larger than my thumb. Some were iron, others were wood. Some were heavy, others were light. All of them were uncomfortable to look at or touch. The attic was drafty, but not nearly enough to explain the cold that burrowed into me as I sorted the charms. I'm not particularly tall, but the attic felt like it was designed for dolls. Beamed so low, I could even walk bent over. I moved over on my knees, rough floorboards threatening splinters, even through my jeans. I could have taken the box downstairs where I'd have more room, but the idea filled me with a deep unease. It seemed better to leave the box up in the attic, only taking down objects as I needed them. Up here, at least my grandmother's items, her legacy, was quarantined. The Red Book was very specific about the distribution of the totems around the house and property. I walked carefully through my mom's backyard, boots plopping in and out of mud, compass in hand. It had rained nearly every day since I'd taken my mom home from the hospital. I knew it was almost certainly a coincidence, but couldn't help wonder if the soft curtains of rain falling to the ground were for her. I placed charms in a compass rose with the house in the middle. The most disturbing objects were given places of honor at each cardinal direction. Water, salt, wards, charms, all placed carefully, intentionally. My grandmother's book promised that these would offer some degree of protection against the inevitability of death. The symbols would confuse it, the talismans distract it, and the water and salt make barriers to slow it down. But death might still find a crack to slip through, so the red book recommended one final trick. There was a small candle in the bottom of the box, dirty white as stained paper. When I took the candle from its case, the smell made me gag. Have you ever walked past a portable toilet in the dog days of summer? When it's so hot, the blue plastic has started to warp and bubble? Imagine the smell distilled in a finger's worth of wax. I brought the candle downstairs, placed it on the dining room table, and set it alight. The wick caught immediately. The flame burning an unusual red-brown. No heat came off the candle, and it actually seemed cooler the closer I moved my hand to the fire. Once the wax began to melt, the smell was ten times worse than it was back in the attic. I choked down a greasy sickness crawling up my throat and quickly left the room, shutting the French doors as I went. That helped trap the odor, but I couldn't shake the sense of nausea, so I went to check on my mother. Do you remember the day you ran away? sitting in her bed, lunch untouched on the nightstand beside her. I didn't think she had any weight left to lose before she was nothing but bone and memory. Her skin was rice paper over a frame that seemed smaller every day. Her eyes, though, no matter how fragile, the rest of her became, remained two little lanterns against the dark blue and bright and alive. I didn't make it very far, and I wasn't really running away. Only stretching my legs. Mom smiled. You told me you were leaving for the circus. You wanted to be either a lion tamer or a strong man or maybe a fire eater. I think I wanted to be all of that combined. Young me was big on multitasking. My mother turned so she was looking out the window into the yard. I was so scared when I found your note. The one saying you were leaving. My hands were shaking like you wouldn't believe when I called the sheriff 
and then Mr. Jones down the way. It felt like we were searching for you half the night, even though it couldn't have been more than an hour before we found you there, lost in the woods, wandering around and shivering. You hadn't even brought a jacket. I sat next to Mom on the bed. Yeah, I didn't exactly plan ahead for a quick circus escape. I remember... I remember getting over the idea real quick, but I couldn't find my way back, so I'm glad you found me. I'm glad, too. My mother said, and I noticed her wipe away a tear. I'm so glad. That hour you were gone, Brian, that was the most afraid I've ever been. Afraid we wouldn't find you. Afraid you might be hurt, or worse. I couldn't hardly breathe through the fear. Then suddenly you were there, and the relief nearly knocked me over. I think we stayed up together the rest of the night watching the stars. I wanted to make sure you could find the North Star in case you ever lost me again. She turned back to me, reached out her thin hand, and placed it on mine. There were still tears in her eyes, but she smiled her lighthouse smile, and for a moment I saw her just as she used to be, just as... She was the night I ran away and my mom found me. I squeezed her hand. I was scared too. I was afraid I'd be stuck out there. What made you think of it? Well, I've been thinking a lot about dying lately and- Don't, I interrupted. Don't talk like that. You're not going anywhere, not for a long time. It's okay. Squeezing my hand back. It's okay, no real fear. What I'm feeling now, it's not like that. I'm scared, I guess, but I'm at peace with it. I had such a beautiful life. I'm so glad I got to meet you, to be your mom. I'm glad too, I whispered, voice breaking on the last word. But I won't let you go without a fight, I added silently in my mind. Something was trying to get my mom. The strangeness began the day after I lit the candle. At first, it was small blips, tiny wrongs that I chalked up in my imagination. Doors I knew I'd closed at night were open in the morning. Food began to rot and spoil within days of me bringing it into the house. Eventually, food would go bad almost immediately. Every few hours, the television in the living room would either turn off if it was running or on if it was off. Clocks would stop overnight, always 3.03 a.m., Shadows began sticking to the corners of rooms independent of any light source. The shadows were stubborn, and they would linger for as long as I would stare, then disappear when I blinked. I began hearing bumps, knocks at all hours, and sometimes when I'd enter an empty room, I had a sharp, fleeting certainty that it was only just occupied. I avoided the dining room except to check in twice a day to see if the candle was still burning and the smell was vicious and would claw its way into your throat and nostrils the moment it was given the chance. I kept the door to the room shut and kept air fresheners running in the surrounding rooms 24-7. The funny thing was the candle never went out, never even seemed to shrink. I could see the wax melting, but day in and day out the candle refused to change. Days marched into weeks and the wrongness only grew deeper. My mom and I both lost sleep to vivid nightmares that we couldn't remember when we woke up. Only the echoes remained, but those were enough to leave my pulse sprinting until morning. I started sleeping in a chair in my mother's room. I did this to comfort her if she woke up confused during the night, but also because, if I'm being honest, I was too scared to sleep alone. 
I felt like a child running into his parents' room, convinced there was a monster under the bed. Thing is, maybe there was. By the third week, I couldn't keep doors closed. They would slam open the moment I left the room. A terrible scratching began inside of the walls. I told my mom it might be squirrels or mice, but the sound was so insistent, not like rodents milling about, but more like a dog wanting in. I stopped leaving the house for supplies. Instead, I had what little food we ate delivered. I kept the curtains drawn. There was tapping on the glass every night. About a month after leaving the hospital, we were living like zombies. The dining room couldn't contain the smell of the candle anymore. The entire house was clogged with a scent. Tiny noises had graduated into full-on laughs and screams and whispers in the rooms around us. Something kicked the bathroom door so hard while I was taking a shower that the hinges warped. I covered every mirror in the house. I started to see things in the corner looking back at me, half-hidden faces, shapes that skittered away as soon as I turned around. Mom was drifting further and further away. She had long moments of confusion where she'd forget my name, forget where we were. Sometimes she'd think I was my dad, and other times she'd just stare at me. She'd just stare at the wall for hours, growing fainter and fainter each day like a Polaroid left in the sun. But she was alive. It was clear that we were under siege by something, and my world shrank in only one room and every trip to the bathroom or to answer the door for food felt like going over the trenches. The noises kept getting worse and worse, and the shadows closer, the sense of movement around the house sharper. Every now and then I would feel hot breath on the back of my neck or walk through a cold patch hanging in the air. I stopped bothering redrawing the lines of salt around the house. I knew deep in my bones that as long as the sickly candle burned, death could not take my mom away. On the 33rd day, after leaving the hospital, I woke with a start from a nightmare, only to find my mom's bed empty. She hadn't been able to walk the past week at all, so my first feeling was hope that she might be improving, at least a little. And then I noticed the odor we'd been living with was gone. Mom! I shouted, running in bare feet out of the room. I found her in the dining room, the door wide open. She was standing at the table, frail as a, a neglected scarecrow, bobbing back and forth. Her hands were hovering over the candle, but the flame was out. Why did you do that? I whispered. Mom! Mom, are you okay? I padded into the room, the wooden floor freezing cold. My mother didn't react to my presence. She just continued rocking side to side. I realized she was still asleep. Mom? I gently shook her shoulder. Wake up. Her head snapped back and she nearly fell. I caught her on the way down. It felt like she weighed nothing at all. What's going on? She asked, looking around the dark room. Where? You're okay, I told her. You were sleepwalking. I was having the most unusual dream. There were so many stars, and... She began to shiver uncontrollably. The cold hit me a moment later. I let out a gasp. The house was chilly before, but the dining room was near Arctic. My breath bloomed into a thin cloud in front of my face. I became acutely aware of the complete silence filling the house. And then I heard scratching. It was coming all throughout the house, deep tearing sounds at the walls, around the dining room. 
Footsteps came immediately after, heavy and fast. Somewhere in the house, a window shattered. Brian. My mother said, holding on to me. Don't worry. Everything will be... My voice deserted me as a massive shadow unfolded in the corner of the room. It was shaped like a man, but tall. So very tall. And it was fast. Before I could yell, the shadow was on us, pouring over my mother in the space of a heartbeat. She was simply gone. No. I whispered, clawing at the dissolving shadow where my mom used to be. No, 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 no. The shadow was disappearing like a puddle sinking into the floor. And there was a texture to it. Oily. Too slick to hold. I thought of my mother the night she found me lost in the woods. The night I'd run away. Her face filled my memory. Her lighthouse smile. I remembered the relief I felt when she found me, the overwhelming love. I held on to that feeling, clutching it close. You can't have her, I whispered. I closed my fist around the last thread of the shadow, and there was a terrible sensation of pulling. It was like I'd caught a horse by the tail, and it was trying to shake me, but I held on. A sense of ripping, being dragged. It was a riptide with a mind of its own, but I held on. It could not shake me. The temperature was dropping every second and I felt my vision growing dark. The last thought that ran through my head before I blacked out was a promise to myself that even if I did, my grip would hold. I wouldn't let my mother's life slip away. All sounds and light faded, narrowing to a pinprick and then going black. I woke up under a field of stars. I was lying in the soft grass, still wearing my pajama bottoms and an old t-shirt. It was cool wherever I was but comfortably so. I stood up. There were trees all around me, tall and close, stitched together with shadows. Immediately to my right, there was a road that ran straight as far as I could see, blurring into the horizon. But the stars, they were like nothing I'd ever seen before. Bright ribbons of northern lights rippled above me in green and blue and purple. Stars lit the sky like millions of lanterns floating on a still ocean. The moon shone sharpest of all, a spotlight hanging above the tree line. So close, I thought I could stretch up and brush its face. You are persistent, said a voice from the forest behind me. I whipped around but couldn't see anyone. The dark spot began to clarify against the gloom. The silhouette separated itself and moved toward me. I recognized it instantly as the shadow from the dining room. And as it moved closer, the thing grew and grew until it touched the sky and filled my vision. A deep dread sank into me, but I stood my ground. Give me back my mom. The silhouette pulled away from the sky, and then it was standing in front of me, the shape and size of a man. But instead of a shadow, the thing had wrapped itself in stars. Miniature constellations drifted across its body, floating slowly like a time lapse of a clear night sky. Burning brightest was the North Star, blue and warm. The space between the stars was absolute black, not a shadow, but a complete absence of light. It was the most beautiful, terrifying thing I'd ever seen. What are you? You know. Give her back, please. Give her back. I can't. It's her time. Past her time. You delayed me. Delayed her. 
she didn't get enough time. I didn't get enough time. It's not right. It's not fair. Of course it's not fair. But it is right. You each have your time. And at the end of it, there's me. And there is a road. And we walk it together. Where to? Where are you taking her? I don't know. It's not for me to know. Only to know how to get there. Then I won't let you take her. I planted myself in the road. The world was still and solemn around us. The constellations drifted like clouds, and a soft breeze stirred the branches. The starry thing didn't respond for a moment. Your mother was kind and caring. Wherever she goes, she'll have peace. But... The creature raised its hand. Did you ever stop to think that death isn't an enemy? Death simply is. It is the natural partner to life. It knows no prejudice or malice. It has no designs or ambitions. Your mother spent so long suffering, felt so much pain. Instead of letting her rest, you took it upon yourself to draw her life beyond its given course. You kept her alive, but at the cost of stretching her thin, prolonging her sickness, diluting her. Do you keep her alive for her benefit or for yours? I couldn't answer. Stretching a life is unnatural, dangerous. In the weeks you kept me away, you drew the attention of old things, hungry things. Forces that would like nothing better than to swallow even the memory of your mother, to tear and bite until there was nothing left but pain and fear and a perfect emptiness. I shuddered remembering the clawing sounds, the shattered window, and the laughter from the empty rooms. I'm sorry. Are they? Can they hurt her? Is she safe? The stars in the shadow burned bright for a moment. Your mother won't walk her road alone. None of you do. I walk with you. Always. To the end. Can I see her? Please? Just... Let me say goodbye. It considered for several seconds. You are persistent. And then the starry thing was gone. I was standing alone on an empty road. Brian? I turned to find my mother behind me on the road. She looked younger, healthier than I'd seen her in years. The frailty was gone, and my mother seemed exactly as I remembered her when she found me in the woods all those years ago. Isn't this the most beautiful dream? She said, staring up at the night sky. Yeah, trying to keep my voice steady. A beautiful dream. I love you, Mom. I love you so much. So very much. She smiled and touched my cheek. I love you, too. Don't cry. It's okay. I'll wake up any time now. I'll see you then. I nodded, wiping at tears. Sure, yeah. I'll see you then. What do you think is at the end of the road? Do you think I'll have time to find out before I wake up? I looked out at the road, scanning the trees for any hungry shadows. I don't know. I don't know where it goes, but... 
promised me you'll be careful. My mom smiled wider. Of course I'll be careful. And she won't walk alone, said a familiar voice behind us both. I turned expecting the starry thing, but the man standing on the road was entirely normal. The light from the moon was enough. I could see he had moss-green eyes and a bright shock of red hair. Such a beautiful dream. The man came towards us and took my mother's hand. He and I looked so alike. I could see why my mother confused us when she was sick. Take care of her, I told the man. Just please take care of her and make sure she gets where she's going. There are, well, there are things out there that want her to hurt her, and it's, it's my fault. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. The man squeezed my shoulder. She'll be safe, watched over. If the devil himself is waiting on the road ahead, he'll move, or he'll be moved. I believed him. Thoughts raced through my head. There were so many things I wanted to say. Questions, a million ways to say goodbye. I wanted to stretch out the moment for as long as I could, but I realized I'd already delayed my mother enough. I love you, I told them both. Goodbye. I woke up back in my dining room, sitting at the table, the unlit candle in front of me. The house was quiet and still, and there was no more scratching. No sound or sense of life at all. And I walked through every room. The house was empty. I was alone. I've spent the past couple months working on the house, erasing the marks I'd made, fixing up the property. And some nights I take long walks out onto the forest. I'm far enough out in the country that on clear nights it's like looking up at a sea of stars. I think about my parents most of the time during those walks. I grieve and remember in my own way. And I wonder where their road went if they're still traveling or if they reach their destination. I hope that their road takes them strange and beautiful places. When I walk at night, I look up for the North Star to keep from getting lost, and maybe they do the same. When it's full, I also look up towards the moon, and I wonder if my parents had a chance to visit, to search for the hidden oceans. I like to think that if they did, that the moon has at least one Maria, and the one I love the most. Maria on the moon! Maria on the moon! Two great stories. Two great fucking stories. Both of them touching in their own ways. I have no notes. Both great. Now, I do have some notes. I, I'm a realist. I mean, I agree with you. I think both of them were written extraordinarily well. Yes. Shout out shout out to both of the authors on No Sleep who submitted those stories. I usually don't I usually don't like go out of my way to like preach towards the writers, really only the sources of where I get things. But like I'm a picky motherfucker. Those give, were both give them excellent. a look. Yeah, those are both fucking stories, man. Yeah. Those were great. A lot of shadows. Shadows. I got to use a lot of deep voice. We we have this fun thing where destiny you know, fate itself just allows us to find these little, these little moments where yeah, we man. both, where we both gravitate towards the same thing. Or, you know, the other way of thinking about it is just a lot of stories about shadow people and death on, on no sleep, but that's not all that's on no sleep. So it's, it's interesting, you know, with, 
with being on episode 257, not all of our stories are the same. And we've read lots of stories about monsters and aliens and ghosts. Tentacle porn and... Tentacles, amusement parks, water parks, (laughs) clowns. Some other stuff. Vampires. (laughs) Sure. Tons of shit. And benevolent shadows is not one of them. Very frequently. Yeah, but uh But we had two two, two examples here. Shadow stories. Yeah. And that second story, such a such a human story. You wanna you wanna delay death as much as possible. You wanna what spend it, as yeah, much what time a with human your loved message. Yeah, you wanna spend as much time with your loved ones as possible. If there's a way to stop death, you wanna do it. And I love the whole death monologue of, of just saying like you know, you can you can hate me, but like I'm I'm not an enemy. And are you doing this for her? Or are you doing it for you? He's obviously You're doing, doing it for, for you. you. Yeah. Um, I've always, I've a hundred percent always been in the field of like, if something is in pain and it's beyond the point of living, put it out of its misery. I had to say the same thing about my sofa shop in Lidditz. You did. I yeah. put it out of its misery. You put it out of its misery. It lives on in you. Just in my memory. As most life, you know, tends to move from place to place. Yeah. Uh, yours just needs to move from literal Lilith's, Lilith's PA to, to somewhere else. The Lilith's else. in our mind. In our I mind was side. hoping a more literal place where you can relocate. Oh yeah, we're we're moving to uh, <laughs> Fittits. <laughs> Fit, Fittits. Fittits. Fittits these nuts in your mouth. Oh! oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was so bad. Oh. Anyway... Um, both great stories, both human stories. I think like what's worse than, what's worse than, uh, addiction and death. Yeah, man. Nothing. Not much. Not much. Yeah. And cancer. Yeah. Cancer. The big C. The big C. It's not, it, it happens. It feels like it happens to a lot of people. Right. And. The shittiest, most recent example I have is there's a kid that was like even younger than me whose life he got he got diagnosed and literally three months later he died. Oh my god! And like it, it was my it was one of my mom's friends' uh, um, kid. It's fucking awful. And he was he was gone with the, in under six months from being diagnosed. One of my fucking neighbors had leukemia at eight years old. It's damn. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, we learned about death real young. He was a lot. He he lived. Yeah. But we learned about. But you learned about the negative side of what. Uh-huh. what it's like and that. and like you know we're like ten. This kid is eight, and we're like, shit, is he gonna live? And for the first time, I was like, we don't know. I don't know. Uh, yeah, they're like, we don't the know. Terrifying and, consequences and then that come from a question like that. We're kids, and we're like, oh shit. Fuck. <laughs> shit. This yeah. isn't good. Yeah. Like man, he got to play all those video games in the hospital. How early was I? I was maybe five. I want to say five or six when our first dog had to get put down. Yeah. And we had only had him for a couple years, so even now the memories are still very fuzzy. But he was he was young and he went blind. And he just started walking into shit and hurt oh, and hurting himself and stuff. Yeah. And we were just like, that's no way to live for a it's young dog. See. And we opted to put him down because yeah. he, he was starting to hurt himself, like falling downstairs and shit. It sucks. Yeah. 
No, that that was the first that was the first experience in life, and then I think my great grandmother went somewhere in the next couple of years, and I remember, I remember that funeral experience particularly being, uh, quite I jarring. Forget your first funeral. No, open casket. Uh huh. Same. Yeah. Same. And uh, I want to say I was weird. around the same age too. My uh, my dad was basically the adopted. dog we cremated. Right, you cremated. The we dog. cremated the dog. So when so I asked what happened was, to the dog, that was oh. weird. But when when we went and saw the body, I was just like, "Why is she sleeping?" Yeah, she's were, right there. You were saying your dad. I did the same thing. I did. I did like it was an open casket, and I was like, "She's right inside." Why is everyone so sad? She's yeah, right well, there. she's right there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it was especially weird because my dad basically was adopted. Um, his my real grandmother, mm-hmm. it was the literal story of, like, she left for cigarettes and never came back. Oh, nice. Yeah. And uh, his dad didn't give a shit. Yeah. So uh, he was, like, over at a school friend's house all the time. Mm-hmm. And, like, his parents just, like, took him in. Yeah. Still, well, that's nice. And those are my grandparents. But this was my uh, blood. Biological biological aunt so i met all of these people for the first time at like five or six years old Mm -hmm. like his whole extended family Mm -hmm. and it was freaky and it was like dealing with death and a very real situation for the first time at six years old you know yeah no i i i've told stories on this show before where i've i've said like what's the earliest you can remember being a kid and being anxious about the idea of death yeah, that'd be it. And I would say sometime around like eight, mm-hmm. I remember like sharing a bedroom with my brother in the middle of the night. I would just turn and ask dumb shit questions and yeah. he would be like just old enough to tell me to shut the fuck up. Yeah. And I, you know, and then when I got my room to my own, then the anxiety really started to creep in because I had no one to ask and I would just lay there and cry. Think. <laughs> no, cry more specifically. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Because I was emotional, and I didn't know how to deal with it. We all, it was, it we was all just, figured it, it out, It was so though. much of a, what, no, what really happens? Yeah, What's there's the deal be. with that? What's the deal with death? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Tears. Tears for fears. Ooh, everybody wants to rule the world. <laughs> That's exactly where I was going. <laughs> anyway, yeah. uh, we had a good, we had a, I don't even know what that was. I don't either. Cool story, it seemed man. seemed like a thing. Uh, we had a fun little, uh, time here and we got, we started real goofy. That first half hour is just us being goofs. Talking about fossils. But these stories were so real and so fun and so emotional and exciting that it's, it's kind of like a big old flip flop. And now we're real serious. And now I'm the most serious I've ever been. Can you sing a song about how serious you are? I'm so serious. I'm so serious. I'm so serious. I'm so serious. I'm fucking serious. I'm fucking serious. I'm so serious. I'm so serious. That's that's the serious song. So serious. I'm so fucking serious right now, dude. You're fucking serious. 
I'm fuck, are you fuck are you are fucking, you fucking are serious? You fucking serious? Are you fucking serious right now? I'm fucking serious. I dude, I'm serious you, dude, XM. I'm fucking serious. Oh, fuck, dude. We aren't, though. We aren't, though. You can't say that. I'm serious. You can't fucking say that. I'm Fox Trot. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Fox News, and I got even more scared. No. If we're talking about the real fears here, let's talk about that. Disney. That. Now you're just saying every big company to get us canceled. Disney, Rite Aid, Mexico. Apple. What? What? Where are these words coming from? Disney, Rite Aid, Mexico. Going down to the Texco, Sunoco. You gotta go to the Wawa, then the Sheets. You gotta go to the Rite Aid, and it's neat. You gotta go to the CVS, then the market. And go to the Allentown Cheesesteak Shop. Which one? Uh, yeah, well, obviously right in because I said it twice. Fuck, dude. I don't even know what just happened there. Shout out to our sponsors, of which there are none. 